Receive ear, O heavens, and I speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, the gentle rain upon the tender grass, like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 to 3. I greet you all saints um, in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, this morning. Amen. My name is Tande Gangoma, and I am very honored to be talking to you this morning um, about a topic that's very close to my heart, um, gender-based violence. I am very grateful to the leadership, um, the eldership of the church, and also the youth ministry um, team leadership uh, for asking me to speak this morning. Although I'm not young and youth, uh, they asked me to talk um, on uh, during Youth Month. So I'm very grateful for, for the opportunity. Thank you very much. I had a moment of um, hesitation when I was asked to speak um, today, purely based on the fact that, you know, for, for some topics, um, and specifically on this one, um, something in me just felt like um, these are the kind of topics that are easier um, to absorb, easier to receive when they are coming from um, someone that is male. Um, but be that as it may, um, I, I believe that the Lord is going to speak through me this morning uh, to share with you what um, he has put in my heart um, today around the topic. I am not an expert on the topic, uh, but I will share from my experience um, in terms of working with boys in different organizations, but also from what the Lord has, has placed in my heart to share with you this morning. So let's start with um, unpacking um, the, the title, right? Uh, what is gender-based violence? Um, gender-based violence is violence against a person because of their gender. Um, so both women and men, of course, experience gender-based violence, but the majority of victims are women and girls um, across the world and in this country of our South Africa. So um, there's different forms of gender-based violence. I mean, the, you know, we could name a whole long list, but I'll just focus on a few uh, just so that we're on the same page around um, what the topic covers. Gender-based violence includes um, things like physical um, physical abuse, it includes sexual abuse, it includes verbal and emotional abuse. Very often we don't seem to think that that is a form of violence, but it is. Um, psychological abuse and even threats, cohesion, economic and educational deprivation um, on the basis of gender um, also forms part of what we would call gender-based violence. Um, and these uh, violent acts are often committed even by, um, by, by, by intimate partners. They could be committed by um, a stranger in some cases and even family members, um, right? When your uncle um, suddenly beats up your mother, um, those are the kind of things that happen even within a family context. And in fact, they are more prevalent uh, within a family context um, as we have seen. Um, I just want us to start with um, a few statistics um, in South Africa in particular that speaks to um, the topic, uh, just to contextualize what we are talking about here and the impact thereof. So South Africa has the highest number of sexual violence cases in the world, number one, right? 64,000 violence cases were reported in 2016 
500,000, that's half a million people are raped every year in South Africa. 60 children are raped every day, every single day. 60 children are raped in South Africa. 25% of South African girls and 17% of South African boys will be sexually assaulted or abused before they turn 18. 40% of women are attacked daily by their boyfriends and one woman is killed every eight hours. One woman is killed every eight hours in our country. So this is the country that we live in. This is the society that we have built um, for our children um, to live in as well. So what drives gender-based violence? Um, so research has shown that um, some of the, in fact, maybe let's just cover two things that drives gender-based violence predominantly um, in lots of societies. Gender-based violence is more prevalent in societies where um, there is a culture of violence. Um, and I think if we are introspective and we look at our country, um, I think it's fair to almost say that a, a culture of violence exists in our societies. Uh, from when we are young, uh, we teach our children generally that it's okay to raise your hand when you don't like something, when something doesn't go according to plan. And I know we make a lot of excuses around um, how we, we inform discipline with our children. Um, and there's a difference between, um, you know, when you are correcting and calmly engaging your child um, and even using, um, you know, um, corporal punishment to, um, to correct the child. In most cases, um, if we are being honest with ourselves, the way that we, we instill discipline using corporal punishment with children, we are filled with anger and frustration. And that's how we engage with the kids. And they learn that, you know, if you don't like something, um, it's okay to, to actually raise your fist. Uh, but that's, that's, that's a different issue. I think it, it's quite controversial, actually. Let's just talk about what children um, and even adults observe in our homes and what they see outside in the way that society engages. There's lots of violence within our communities. And so um, where violence is prevalent almost as a culture, uh, in the communities is where um, it's easy to, to um, you know, it's easy breeding ground almost for gender-based violence. Secondly, uh, it's in societies where uh, male superiority is treated as the norm. What are we talking about here? Um, a belief in male superiority can manifest in men feeling entitled to things like sex, um, where there is strict reinforcement of gender roles in society, uh, with women having very low social value um, and power and um, where men associate masculinity with control of women. That is a breeding ground, again, for um, gender-based violence um, type of you know, environment and community. These two factors interact with a number of drivers, such as low levels of women empowerment, um, lack of social, um, social support in the community, socioeconomic inequality, of course, and things like substance abuse. And together, those things easily create an environment where, um, where gender-based violence exists um, in our community. So in many cultures, men's violence against women is considered acceptable within certain settings, right? Um, imagine you, you, you tell your parents that um, your husband hit you last night. And, and Umama's response will be, no, because you know, that's how it is. 
um, you know, be calm. Um, it wasn't even that bad. He just clapped you or, or whatever it may be. Um, there's just a certain level of acceptability within our cultures and our community for um, these kinds of violent acts, um, acts between men and women. And so this creates a nice um, sort of breeding ground for um, for, for, for um, sexual violence, for gender-based violence to continue within our communities. Now let's talk about um, the impact of gender-based violence um, in our communities, the impact of gender-based violence to um, individuals. So, I mean, gender-based violence itself has a profound human, is a profound human rights violation. Um, right, with major, big, big uh, social and developmental impacts for survivors themselves, their families, and even the community at large. It does not just impact one person. At an individual level, um, gender-based violence leads to um, psychological trauma, which can have psychological, behavioral, and physical consequences uh, for survivors. Um, and in many parts of, of our country, there's, there's very poor access to, um, you know, psychosocial support. Uh, there just isn't enough access um, to, for support for survivors. And therefore, um, you know, people end up feeling isolated when they experience these kinds of acts. There's nobody to talk to. Nobody believes you. Um, there just isn't enough um, emotional support for you to get into a space where you, you understand what you've gone through, um, you are able to live through it and, and thrive, um, essentially. And so um, survivors really get impacted in a, in a very a significant way um, by gender-based violence because of the, the lack of support that exists in our communities. And you know, these kinds of things also um, are a vicious cycle, um, right? it ends up at a point where whether it's a man or a woman, they might end up themselves in future even uh, being perpetrators of such uh, violent acts. And so there's a huge impact not only on the individual, but also on their families um, and also the overall community because it impacts the way that one interacts with everybody around them. Now, bringing it closer to home, um, talking about the church, um, in South Africa and gender-based violence. So I'm not talking about our church, Cosmo City Church as such. I am talking about the, the, the body of Christ, right, within the, the local South African context. It is estimated that 80% of South Africans consider themselves um, Christians. So quite a lot of people in South Africa are Christians. So when we talk about the body of Christ in this context, it's quite a, a big community of Christians in, in South Africa. Um, let me read you a, a very shocking statistic. Research has shown that 75% of people are experiencing some form of sexual and gender-based violence in our churches across South Africa. 75%. That is almost everyone in the church. 75% is a big number. And so gender-based violence is, is, is a problem that the church cannot ignore because it exists exactly in the church, right? Um, it's, a, it's a really hectic statistics to, to, statistic to deal with. Um, what are we as a church going to be doing about this, um, right? I feel like there just isn't enough conversations happening um, in the church about gender-based violence, but it's very clear that it's something that we can't not speak to. Um, and if we ignore it, we ignore it at our own peril. 
Now, gender-based violence is not new, um, or even sexual violence is not new. It's something that has been happening for uh, many years. Uh, we see lots of uh, instances of it happening, even in the Bible. I would like us to uh, read the story of Tamar. Um, let's take our Bibles to um, 2 Samuel 13, um, verses 1 to 2. In the course of time, Ammon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Ammon became so obsessed with his sister, Tamar, that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Ammon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimei, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Ammon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard the morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Ammon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Ammon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Ammon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Ammon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Ammon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Ammon said. So everyone left him. Then Ammon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Ammon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than her, he raped her. Then Ammon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Ammon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe for this was the kind of garment virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Ammon, your brother, been with you? 
Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Ammon. Either good or bad, he hated Ammon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. <sighs> yeah. So um, it's really hard reading this story, um, you know. Um, I imagine this is the experience of a lot of people. Uh, but let's unpack it a little bit um, as well. I want us to look at um, the role of each of the characters um, within, within um, the story of Tamar's rape. Uh, specifically, uh, we can start with Tamar, but I just want to look at the role of the men in the story and what role they played in this whole thing. Um, so, you know, Tamar was raped essentially by her half-brother, Amon. She never did anything to, uh, to provoke him to do this. Um, and and um, maybe just reading um, verse 13, Tamar put ashes, this was after she was raped, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the honored robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she wept. I can almost feel her pain, you know, from the way that um, this whole thing is described in this, in this passage. I, I can feel the pain that she was feeling um, where she tore her robe and started weeping loudly as she left um, that place, um, really destined to, to, to be alone uh, because she could not be given into marriage after that in those days. Um, the Bible also says after the rape, Tamar lived with her brother um, Absalom uh, in, in, her, in his house. A, de a desolate woman. And I just looked up that word in the dictionary, you know, um, and, and what came up was um, unin uninhabited in giving an impression of bleak emptiness. That's how she felt, uh, feeling or showing great unhappiness or loneliness. I can imagine that amongst other things, victims of sexual violence, gender-based violence, um, um, must be feeling this kind of way where you just feel empty and like there's, there's no feeling of happiness um, and life in you. Um, let's look at the men in, in, in the story and the role they played. I want to start with King David. King David was, was um, her father, right? King David and the role that he played in this case, he was an ineffective father. He failed to train and discipline his children, especially his sons. Um, and although he found out, when he found out, he was furious, um, the Bible says, uh, about Ammon's actions. He did absolutely nothing. Zero. He didn't do anything about it. Um, um, and, and I feel like that's sometimes the way that, um, you know, we as parents uh, or parents in, in the church or um, just parents in general um, react, you know. Uh, when when somebody brings a, a concern around um, how some how someone has treated them, um, a gender-based violence act, a sexual a sexual violence, um, it's it's just how we react, especially in the church. Um, we we do nothing um, about it. We support you as a victim. We make you feel better, but we sweep it under the rug. Um, there's no charges that are being pressed. Nobody's taken to task. There's no justice. Um, Right. This is how King David reacted uh, in this particular case. Um, Ammon. Um, so Ammon, he is, is the one who raped Tamar. He, he was a spoiled child. You know, um, the Bible talks about him. He, he just he grew up into a prince that just had so much time in his hands and 
um, an idle mind. He, he, he just didn't have any control over his thoughts. Um, so without direction, his, his thoughts just led him to self-destruction. He was not remorseful. If you look at the way that he treated Tamar, even after um, he had raped her, there was zero remorse. Um, he, he was just out of control. You know, if you think about him before the act, he was just frustrated about the fact that he couldn't get her. And after it happened, he, he just started hating her completely. Uh, and very disgusted with her. Uh, so, I mean, some of the lessons that we can take from him and, and, and the way that he, he acted here is firstly, he around the way that we as children of God need to occupy our minds and our thoughts with the things of God. Um, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, uh, as a man thinketh uh, in his heart, so is he. Uh, it was clear that Amun was just obsessed with Tamar and that's all he was thinking about and filling his mind with uh, this obsession. And so um, this is the thing that drove him to end up acting as he has in this particular case. Uh, Philippians 4, 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. So let's occupy ourselves with the things of the Lord um, that we may, we may make... Um, it basically, it will drive our thoughts and our actions um, in that direction and not um, as what we see uh, in Amon's example, for example. Um, and then Jonadab. Jonadab was um, Amon's cousin. He, he was just evil. I mean, if you look at the way that he, he, he advised Amon to, um, you know, to lure uh, Tamar into his place, act like he's ill, uh, in order, uh, under false pretenses, obviously, to, to, to rape her. Um, but, you know, as I was reading the story, I just realized that there's just so many of, there's a lot of Jonadabs in our lives. Uh, we ignore it. We don't, we don't address it, but they, 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 they exist. Uh, you know, that friend that tells you to clap your, 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 your girlfriend when he is out of line, uh, or, you know, your mate at varsity who tells you how to, you know, to find a way to, to, to force a girl to, you know, um, to sleep with you under false pretenses or without proper consent. They exist. They're there. They are friends. They are families. Uh, but we don't call them out. Um, you know, um, everybody knows, you know, there's, there's people that are saying everybody knows a victim of, of um, gender-based violence or sexual crimes, uh, but nobody knows um, any perpetrators. It's impossible because every single victim has a perpetrator that created, um, that, that acted on that crime, right? And so we know these people. They are in our families. We just don't say anything about it. Um, we need to start acting differently. Then let's talk about Absalom. Absalom is Tamar's brother. Um, in verse 20, the Bible says, Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Ammon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. So Absalom comforted his sister, which is really great. Um, but he also urged her to keep things hush, right? Um, to say nothing about it and, and just go on her way and forget about it because it's your brother. Um, it's your uncle. You know, it's your husband. Uh, don't say anything. Just keep it quiet. Um, these are the things that uh, victims of sexual violence, victims of gender-based violence uh, here uh, when they come to, to, to us, um, right? And so uh, we need to check ourselves. Um, if you look at all of the people um, in, in the story of Tamar, 
every single one. Nobody actually stood up uh, for her and advocated for her case. Uh, everybody just said, no, it's fine, uh, basically, and continued with their lives. Uh, two years later, he avenged his sister by, by murdering uh, Amon, uh, which now is a sin, right? Uh, he, he chose to deal with it differently. Um, but we, we will not speak into that. I think overall, it's just um, a story that probably as, as, as you are listening, if you're a victim of gender-based violence or sexual violence, you are reading this and saying, you know, this experience doesn't feel very different from what I've experienced. And I think a lot of people in our communities probably has a similar experience. Um, we need to change that. Now, how do we respond to sexual violence? So there, there, there's two ways, broadly speaking, or approaches of addressing uh, gender-based violence. Um, so the one is around um, just general response, which speaks to um, how we support and help survivors of violence um, when they've experienced um, sexual violence or gender-based violence in various ways. Um, and then the other way is um, prevention, um, right? How do we prevent gender-based violence from happening in future? How do we break the cycle? Um, of, of, of gender-based violence in our, in our communities. And the truth of the matter is that we have to do both. We can't do one, right? Because if we focus on prevention, we are ignoring the fact that it's already happening now and we're ignoring how we support creating a structure, a social structure that supports the people who are experiencing uh, gender-based violence today, uh, right? And how we deal with the perpetrators of gender-based violence today. Uh, but also, if we only focus on on um, on prevention, um, sorry, on if we only focus on supporting and responding to the people who have experienced this, we are not thinking about the long-term impact. It will continue to happen over and over again, and would never really break the cycle. So it's important that we find a way to to approach it from both ends, prevention and um, and 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 response. So let's talk about uh, how we can practically. And I just want to underline that word practically, address gender-based violence in the church. Um, again, we're talking about the, um, the, the body of Christ. Uh, from a response point of view, um, understanding gender-based violence, um, I think most of the times we all kind of seem to think we know, right? Uh, but if we don't create an environment where um, there is enough um, conversations about it in the church. Um, there we, we get experts to come through and talk to this topic. Um, they, there's just not a space where we are all understanding what gender-based violence is about, what drives it, how it impacts our people, um, and how we can you know, find various ways to, to prevent it and support the people that have experienced it. And so it's important that we, we uh, make efforts to understand gender-based violence. I think it's very clear from the stats that I shared earlier that it's something that we simply cannot ignore um, as the church uh, because it impacts so many people within the church, almost the entire church, actually, if you, if, if you look at 75% that I quoted earlier. Um, secondly, inclusion of survivors of gender-based violence. Um, what are we talking about here? So, I mean, there are some cases where the church has been responsible for encouraging judgmental attitudes and fueling stigma. So when you've experienced gender-based violence, the way that you are treated uh, is not necessarily um, great, especially sexual violence. There's just something about that, right? Um, so we, we, we need to, as a church, um, because, I mean, what actually this does is that it prevents full participation of those 
uh, people uh, within the church, within the structures of the church um, in general as full functioning members of the church, but also, it, you know, they feel isolated as well. And if you think about it, once somebody has experienced gender-based violence um, and, and they, they have survived um, and are in a space where they can engage um, in activities, they are actually, it would be more helpful for us to use uh, those people to help us find solutions around how we, um, we engage um, in this topic better, how we support um, survivors in the future and people who, who are victims of gender-based violence. And so, um, you know, it, it, it would be very helpful if we try and leverage uh, their experience in order to support better uh, others. Uh, rather than isolating them, not hearing them, not listening to them, not believing them, um, right? So the inclusion of survivors of gender-based violence is something that's really important as a strategy to try and um, support better uh, people who've gone through this thing. Care and support, um, of course, including counselling. Um, if you think about it, I mean, the church is the body of Christ, right? And so if, if, um, if one member of the body of Christ, if your arm is cut off, um, the rest of you shouldn't function. So it should, we, we should all feel it. This is something that affects every single one of us. If one member of the body of Christ is affected, then all, it's everyone's problem, right? So we, should, we need to establish support groups and initiatives to support survivors uh, of gender-based violence. We really need to ask ourselves, what changes in the current structure of the church and the support that we have do we need to put in place to create a space of warmth, um, welcome, support, and inclusion uh, for people who've gone through gender-based violence. So we, we just need to create better care and support within um, our churches for this. And the last point I want to talk about under response is justice. So justice is about how the church could work in collaboration with others to um, ensure the law, that laws are enforced and survivors are able to, to be heard. Uh, justice is not simply about, uh, you know, punishment of people as such. It's about putting things right, um, right? It's about seeking justice and making sure that laws are being implemented and those who have done wrong um, held accountable um, to, to, for their actions. Um, so for me, it's really just about um, advocacy as well, right? Um, about speaking for the people whose voices may not be loud enough. Uh, about people who may have lost their voice because they, they, they are not being believed and, and uh, just being an advocate for them um, and on behalf of others. I feel that we have a biblical uh, mandate to care for marginalized people in society and, challenge, um, and to challenge justice. If you read um, the Bible in, um, in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, um, the Bible says, what, is, what good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. Excuse me. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We have to act. We have to do something. We have to be advocates for others. We have a biblical mandate to do so. 
Now, let's also talk about prevention, right? We were just talking about how the church can respond um, to, um, to gender-based violence in terms of the overall response. But also from a prevention point of view, I just want to share with you four things. So I think it's just the first thing is really around church leadership and the openness to, uh, to bring these conversations into the, um, the, the, the context of the church. Um, you know, the church needs to promote loving and respectful relationships in the church and the community and making it normal um, for, um, you know, for preachers to stand on the pulpit and teach about um, gender-based violence. We see it in the Bible, we see it in the Word, and there's lots of instances where we can pick within the Bible um, how, um, you know, how, how, how the Bible speaks about responses to, to such issues in society. Secondly, um, is a bit of a hot topic, I, I think, in the church, is addressing gender equality, um, the topic of gender equality. We just, we don't talk about gender equality in the church. Um, you know, it's taboo. It's, it's just a, a very controversial thing. You know, patriarchy is just, we don't touch that. Um, but I mean, you know, over centuries, um, you know, women and girls um, have been discriminated against um, throughout the world. In most cultures, um, you know, this is reflected in, in, in value systems, the way, you know, sons are more valued than daughters, um, where, you know, if, if a woman, for example, bears, um, you know, female children, um, so we must try again, you know, uh, we need a boy, uh, that kind of a thing, because boys are more valued, right? They carry the seed of the family. Um, and so uh, those things uh, play themselves out, um, you know, in terms of, of the way that uh, men are viewed versus women and girls are viewed versus boys. Um, we, we justify the fact that men hold, hold positions of power over women in our society. Uh, however, there's then the misuse of the power is what, what um, I don't believe God intended um, that this would play out. Uh, so it just creates divisions, um, you know, in terms of the relationships between men and women, uh, this imbalance that we have and how we see gender roles and gender equality um, in, in our society, but also in the church. And the consequences of this then is things like, you know, um, subordination, oppression, violence, and the tendency to treat uh, human beings, especially women and children, as possessions even. Um, you know, I'll, 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 I don't want to get too much into this. That's just, I'll leave you with, with um, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. I'm not going to read it. And Galatians 3, 28, um, how the Bible speaks about, you know, like you are neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ. Um, and, and I just want us to pray for, um, you know, the courage for both men and women to challenge unhelpful stereotypes um, in our society about male and female roles to encourage uh, biblical reflection on the subject matter of gender. Uh, but it's a huge subject, right? So I'm not going to talk about it today. It's something that we need to have, just have more courage to, 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 to speak about in the church. Um, number three, engaging men and boys. Um, so um, I think we should be including engaging women and girls as well, uh, because if we don't do that, we ignore the fact that women and girls are actually perpetrators of gender-based violence themselves. Um, it's another issue that we don't often talk about. It happens. Um, it's rare uh, compared to the other one, right? But it happens. Uh, but specifically here, in, in engaging men and boys um, in conversations around uh, violence against women. 
Um, we work with men on changing their, their, their behaviors, attitudes and practices and also provide a space for them to, um, to, to become advocates for change, right? I think our, our men, are, they need healing. You know, there's just so many layers and layers of, of, of hurt that a lot of, of, of our men grew up with. Uh, with this whole thing of just men not being in the home. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, hist- history around that, uh, that I don't want to unpack. But um, it, it, not having a father figure in the home for a boy has such a profound impact on how they, they view themselves when they grow up, how they, they see their role and how they fit into society as boys and men when they grow up, that it impacts so many things about themselves, you know. And so... Um, it's important that we start, um, you know, addressing that issue um, in society and in the church as well. Some of the, the practical things that we need to talk to around engaging men and boys are things like, you know, engaging parents uh, to take uh, a leading role in dealing with um, talking to children about um, gender-based violence, uh, facilitating parental workshops, teaching young people how to protect themselves uh, and others, ensure violence, particularly sexual violence, is not hidden within families um, and in the church and provide support for survivors, um, survivors of sexual violence. And then number four uh, is support the economic empowerment of women and girls. Um, and again, um, in, in our society, if you think about it, the idea should be to reverse the historic um, and, and, and structural dependency that exists in our society, right, which, which often creates an opportunity for, um, for abuse of power. Uh, because women have historically not have that empowerment. And so they are very dependent on, on males, which then, because of that sort of imbalance and dependency, it easily creates a space where, um, you know, gender-based violence can, can, can easily occur. So we need to drive and support the empowerment of women and girls um, in our society. So lastly... I just want to challenge you to think about the things that you specifically as a, an individual can do to make a difference, um, right? Because it's easy to say the church must do this, um, the government must do that, um, these people must do that. But you as an individual, when we finish the sermon, how are you going to act differently um, to being the change that we want to see in society relating to this issue of gender-based violence? So. I just have five things I want to share with you uh, to consider as considerations. So firstly, just listen, right? Uh, Be open to learning from others. Listen to the survivors and their stories. Listen to the people who are victims of gender-based violence. Listen to people who are experts on the subject matter when they talk. Um, Believing. um, Believe survivors. Believe uh, people who have been affected by gender-based violence. Uh, when they speak, there's nothing worse than somebody saying, um, you know, my uncle did this and everybody in the family just says, no, it's just, it's not possible. It didn't happen. Um, we need to hear people's truths and support their stance. Um, speak out. Um, join the conversation, right? Use your voice. And I think specifically here, I just want to speak to men. I feel like it feels different when men are speaking about the issue, Right. Um, and so speak out and use your voice against uh, gender-based violence. We, we all have a role to play um, in, in ending um, this violence. Um, the fourth thing is intervene. 
um, if you see someone being treated or assaulted, um, find a safe way to help. Um, you know, I was just thinking the other day, I, I, I often take, um, a, like do a jog in the morning um, around 7 a.m. Um, around my neighborhood um, just to exercise. And, you know, sometimes like almost every single time, you know, some of the streets are like really, really quiet. The thought crosses my mind every single day when I run. Um, what if somebody just attacks me, you know, and rapes me or something like that? And and I fear for my life, uh, you know, on this issue. But I also there's also that thought that even when that happens, I wonder if somebody passes while it's happening, whether they would do anything or they would just pass. And I almost have a feeling in my heart that it's very easy that it could happen and somebody will just pass and say, no, it's not my problem or assume it's boyfriend and girlfriend. And even if it is, it is still your problem. You need to do something. Call someone, um, you know, so intervene. Um, it, is, it should be your problem because one day it's going to be your sister, your child, your daughter, um, you know, your son that is um, affected by this. And then act, right? Giving your time to an organization or a group, act in the church, um, you know, the, the organization, there's so many organizations that are doing a lot of work around gender-based violence, around uh, rape, around um, all sorts of these issues that impact the topic that we're talking about. Um, do something, give money, give your time, give your resources, uh, but be the change that you want to see. Um, and as we close, I just want us to pray. Um, and after, after this, I also um, will be sharing on the screen some of just very few organizations that are working in the space um, where you can um, either get help from uh, or give help to, uh, whether it's financially or volunteer type of work. Uh, but, you know, this is really a time where we cannot just be posting stuff on social media anymore and say that your voice has been heard. Um, you need to do something. If you are doing nothing related to this issue, um, it's, it's not okay. You know, raise your voice, raise your hand and say, I will be the change and actually do something. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we, we love you. Um, you are so faithful, God. You are kind. You are gracious. Comfort and strengthen, Lord, uh, women and girls, men and boys who are victims of violence for no reason other than their gender. Bless them with communities of love and support and the tools they need to shield them from harm. Father, we pray for the courage to find voices to break the silence, to name hidden and domestic violence, God. Today we pray for all those women who, despite suffering from violence, continue to care for families and children, earn a living and offer support to others, all that is on them. We pray, Father, for women who are trafficked as domestic or sex workers, women who are raped and do not know how to find words to name their pain, Lord, or a way into the future. We pray, Father, for transformation of our societies, which often finds it easier to judge the victims of violence than to solve the problems of injustice. Lord, we pray that women's voices may be heard and taken into account in all peace and reconciliatory work that's happening in our communities, we pray for a transformation in the violent way many men act towards and think about women. 
We pray, Father, for the healing of our men. We pray, Father, for the healing of our men. We pray, Lord, for the healing of our men. Those that are broken from the past, Lord, restore them and make them whole. We pray for right and just relationships between men and women that together we may transform and overcome violence in all its forms and just learn to celebrate our diversity and interdependence. We pray, Father, more than anything, that we learn to love one another like you have loved us. In the name of Jesus, amen.